Episode 4 of the Beyond the Battle podcast. I tell you what, I have a total of three podcasts. One of them just ended. They all start with the letter B, and I was not kind to myself when I did that. So whenever you hear me pausing at the beginning, when I tell you what episode of podcast it is, it's because I'm trying to remember which name of podcast I'm actually doing. I do currently do another podcast with a good friend of mine, Tyler St. Clair. It's called the Black and White Theology Podcast. You can check that out. We talk about theological issues as well as race issues. And we do one, we do both of those, one each, every single episode. So this podcast is mainly around the topics about my book, Beyond the Battle, but it is a podcast for both men and women, even though Beyond the Battle is a book for men. And it's hard to even describe what Beyond the Battle is. It's easiest, I guess you could say, it's a sexual purity book, but usually when we think of sexual purity, we think of that straight-up sort of accountability. When is the last time you lusted? When is the last time you looked at porn? And there's a place for those conversations, But for me, where I found real freedom was finding where the gospel meets me and really answers the questions of why am I looking for lust in the first place? Why do I desire porn at all? This isn't how God made me, but I have this appetite for it. So what is it that I'm really hungry for? And then what I find is it's much broader than just lust or porn. It affects married people. It affects single people. It affects men. It affects women. Because really what we're looking for is value. We're looking for acceptance. And for me, and for many, we look to sex for those things. Or women, or men, you know, just someone who will tell me, it doesn't have to be sex, but just someone who will tell me, I'm important, I'm valuable, I'm accepted, these sorts of things. And I found the gospel in Jesus gave me all those things. And there was just a whole other depth of freedom that I hadn't gotten to. And so that's the best context I can give someone for what even this podcast is about or what Beyond the Battle is about. So I can't do that in five seconds. It took me a minute to just do that now. But I'm excited for today's show. Today is episode four, still getting started and still wanting what I want to do with the first six episodes. There are six videos for Beyond the Battle, and they're small group videos. What I really hope and desire is people, men, are reading Beyond the Battle, uh, and they're not reading it by themselves. I think if you read the book, that's great. I think it's one-third of the fruit that you could potentially see in your life from that material. Uh, A second third is you've got to read the Appendix B as you go with it, which is the daily devotional material. That's the Bible. It's scriptural truth. That's the stuff that's going to change your life, not the stuff that I wrote. And then third, to read the book and do the devotional material with other men where you meet weekly or biweekly and you go through the discussion questions at the end. And those discussion questions, they go along with videos that I made. The videos can be found at my blog, which is at acrossroads.net slash six weeks. I'm sorry. See? There I go again. That's my other link that I'm going to tell you about in a second. At acrossroads.net slash beyond videos is where you find the videos. Beyond videos. So we're going to do number uh, video number four today, and we'll get to that in a moment. 
uh, I guess as a segue to what I just messed up on, the six weeks link, those groups I mentioned in last episode of the podcast, they are starting today, actually. So I am doing online video small groups with men. Then we're going to go through my book together. And uh, it's partnering with Covenant Eyes. And tonight, the group is full. It's Tuesday night, which is the day that this podcast will be posted. But there are still a couple openings for Thursday afternoon. So we're going to be going from noon until 1.30 Eastern time. And uh, if you're interested, go to that site I just mentioned, at acrossroads.net slash six weeks. It's $50 to be in the group, but you get a copy of Beyond the Battle, either an ebook, audiobook, or paperback version included. You get a free month of Covenant Eyes. You also get $4 a month off of your Covenant Eyes indefinitely if you're an existing uh, Covenant Eyes pers- uh, customer, I guess, or if you continue on with the service. And what Covenant Eyes is, is a accountability software, or it can also be a filter. So you can either have your website's email to someone. So I use it, and I have my emails sent to my wife, uh, who of all the websites that I go to, or you can have it as a filter where it actually blocks out the websites that you go to. So I do encourage you to check that out and to jump in Thursday. And once uh, Thursday comes, those groups won't be open anymore. Obviously, once we start, uh, we can't add new people in, but, but stay tuned and we'll keep doing these in partnership with Covenant Eyes and uh, so far, the feedback I've gotten from the guys who are signed up, they're really excited. We've had a lot of interaction even before the group, and I'm, I'm just really excited to see what God's going to do with them. So I mentioned audiobook in there, and that's a big piece of news I want to share, is that the Beyond the Battle audiobook is now available. One of the reasons I apologize for the delay of episode four, I, I want to be committed to every other week of getting a new podcast episode out. And I missed last time. Part of that reason was I was recording the audiobook. And my daughter, who's just turned one this week, she had hand, foot, mouth, if you're familiar with that. It is awful. And she had a really awful case of it. So we got like no sleep. And I'm trying to record this audiobook as well. And it was just a lot going on. So we missed a uh, podcast episode. But uh, the audiobook's done now. And it's ready, it's available. So you can go to southfrancispress.com and you can purchase the audiobook there, southfrancispress.com. With the audiobook, as any good marketer would do, I want to give you a little sample of what you can expect if you purchase the audiobook. So sit back, relax, and tune in to a little segment of Beyond the Battle, the audiobook. Read by the author, Noah Philippiak. Chapter 3. A wretch like who? Living pardon. You are a serial killer. The memories of your gruesome deeds still haunt you when you try to sleep at night. You've been on trial, convicted, and given the death sentence. You will spend the remaining months of your life in solitary confinement, living in a pitch-black cell the size of a small closet. A jailer will toss stale bread to you once a day as you hopelessly await your day to die. You sleep on a cold cement floor and go to the bathroom in a hole. You are getting what you deserve, and justice is being served. After weeks without seeing another human face or even a beam of light, 
Your prison door opens and a brilliant light from the hallway's fluorescent bulbs blasts into your dungeon. Your eyes take a moment to adjust to the brightness as you strain to make out the human figure standing in your doorway. It's a familiar face. It's the judge from your trial. Well, I hope you like that. All that drama and intrigue. Just going to let the awkwardness sit in for a couple more moments. Some of you are trying to figure out if that was real. You're still wondering. You're like, is that really what he's going to put out there? Did did he really think he sounded like Sean Connery there? Because he kind of sounded like an Australian who was drunk, who was trying to do a Sean Connery impression. Well, that was me recording. I did a little audio sampling before I started recording. I sent a few different voices, I guess, out to some friends who listen to audiobooks and said, which one do you like best? And one friend said, well, I expect you to record in a Sean Connery voice. And so in the middle of recording, which is interesting to sit down and read your own book for hours upon hours upon hours into a microphone, I decided to take a little Sean Connery break and record that for my friend Brett and sent it to him. And since this podcast has been a little dry, as I've told you before, I thought it would be funny to play that for you. So there you go. I thought it was funny. I don't know if you think it was funny. I did. And so that was for my entertainment. And hopefully you had some moments of awkwardness there where you were thinking, oh, no, this is awful. And Noah thinks this is good. And he's sending this out to everyone. So that's not the case. But the actual... Beyond the Battle audiobook is done and ready and for sale today. That is not a joke, and it is not Sean Connery. So, hope you check it out. And also, big news, we have a mailbag today. I told you how lonely I was, speaking alone into a microphone, missing Tyler. thought I'd never hear myself say that, but the black and white theology have my friend Tyler to banter with. On this podcast, I only have this empty room. So we, I've asked, and I keep saying we, which I don't know why I do that. There is no we. There's only me. There's no we. I, I have been asking you for email for our mailbag, and there is email. So let me get to our mailbag. All right, you can email the show beyond the battle podcast at gmail.com. Again, that is beyond the battle podcast at gmail.com. And let me say for the record, It was very difficult to get an email address from Gmail that made any sense. They were all taken, so I have this very long one. And same with Twitter. Twitter handle for this podcast is at battle underscore podcast. So you can follow the podcast on Twitter. I'll follow you back, and then you can send in direct messages for the mailbag if you would like to. But Twitter, you know, they only give you a very small amount of characters for your your Twitter handle, your name. And 
it's funny that I ended up having this put at battle podcast because the whole point of my book is we go beyond the battle. Like it's not, it's a battle, but it's kind of not really a battle. It's a war that Jesus already won and we learn to rest in him. We don't just like fight the symptoms as it, as if it were just a battle, but that's all I had. I tried so hard to get a better uh, pod, uh, Twitter name than that, but so it goes. So it goes. So that's how you can send an email. And I am very thankful for our first email. It is from Guy. And Guy, I thank you very much. Uh, Guy is not a pseudonym, I do not believe. I believe that is Guy's first name, even though this is a book for guys. So Guy asks several questions, three in fact. And I'm just going to do the first one for time's sake, and these are great questions, and I will get to the other questions in future uh, episode mailbags. But for everyone else, please feel free as well to send them in. I'd love to hear from you. It gives me more a feeling of I'm interacting with you and that the material is helping and and those sorts of things. So, uh, guys, first question is, what does the Bible say specifically about sex in a committed relationship, but where being married isn't possible for family societal, or legal reasons. Underneath, he says, isn't there a sub-point to his question, I guess. He says, isn't there an appropriate direction? Friendly relational bond leads to emotional bond, which leads to a spiritual bond, then sexual bond. Might be considered to be of God, but that backwards is a sure sign of unhealth, is sinful, and not uh, and likely not headed towards a great union. Okay, so there's a few things to break down here. One, what does the Bible say specifically about sex in a committed relationship, but where married isn't possible for family, societal, or legal reasons? I'm working on a blog post right now. It's not done yet, but I'm going to address the question, which is similar to this one. It's not exactly the same question, but I'm going to address the question is, what does the Bible say about premarital sex? Because you'll hear people say the Bible doesn't say that premarital sex is wrong, and the Bible does say that premarital sex is wrong. And, and, and I don't think it's all that helpful even really to say it's wrong, don't do it. I mean, it is wrong, don't do it. That's, that needs to be said. But ultimately what needs to be said is why it's wrong, um, not focusing on the don't do it, but focusing on what we are to do, right? So I think that's just much more helpful. It's like if you always tell a kid they're wrong, they're wrong, they're wrong, but you, you never tell them what they're doing right or you never, you never put forward what is right as in something to shoot for. I mean, the wrong is just like, well, I wonder why that is wrong. That seems maybe they're trying to hold, keep something from me because it sure feels right. Uh, so, so why would they tell me that it's wrong? So ultimately, and that's kind of where Beyond the Battle goes. It talks about that sex within marriage. I describe it like it is like having an apple orchard and that's very hard work and you have to till the soil and fertilize the crop and, you know, keep pesticide on the, the, the apples so that the bugs stay away and you have to just work hard. But at the end of it, you have this whole orchard and it's this beautiful thing and it's, it's feeding all these people and it really sustains a community and there's this legacy there versus casual sex, sex outside of marriage, where you're just taking an apple and you're eating it and you throw it off to the side and, oh, that was good. And I'm going to run and, and grab another one. And that was good. And I'm going to go run and grab another one. And that seems better, right? It seems better 
there's no work involved and you get the pleasure, you get the rush. That's what you're looking for. But in the end of your life, I, I was kind of basing it off of Proverbs 5. At the end of your life, Proverbs 5 says you will groan. You will say, oh, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. And you're, you, you're looking back and I don't have Proverbs 5 in front of me, but there's some, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, there's some beautiful, power, powerful, just kind of sobering and, and maybe even sad verses in there where, where people are looking at their life and they're saying, I I gave everything up to someone else just so I could have sex. You know, I, so, someone else is now, uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have the apple orchard, I think essentially is what the proverb is saying. And, and someone else does, they have my orchard that I was supposed to have because I was so fixated on the instant gratification. So uh, back to the, the question that I was proposing, sex outside of marriage, where being being wrong, I, I go to 1 Corinthians 6, and, and it really does lay it out clearly. I think, it, sure, it's, it's a little hard to figure out exactly what Paul's saying here, but if you look at verses, starting in verse 15, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Verse 16, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body, for it is said the two will become one flesh. And that quote there that he's quoting is from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, which is in the creation account, the creation narrative before sin entered the world, God creates Adam and Eve. He says that the two will become one flesh. A man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, the two will become one flesh. And so what you'll often hear in the church and at, at weddings, you'll, you'll hear that a lot, that when you get married, you become one flesh. But that's not what the Bible's saying here. First Corinthians 6, chapter 16, is, or 15 and 16 is saying, when you have sex, you become one flesh. So it says, uh, you know, it's, it's really clear right in the text. Just open up verses 15 and 16. Um, Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. So Paul's saying in verse 16, when you have sex with a prostitute, you become one flesh. He's quoting Genesis 2. He's saying that's what happens. You leave your father and mother. You become united with this person. You become one flesh. And it's not just referring to paid prostitution here. Even the word prostitute, it comes from the Greek word porneia, which is the word we get pornography from. It is a a wide word. The word in the NIV is normally translated sexual immorality, but it's the same word from the King James Version you may have heard growing up The for fornication. Fornication means premarital sex. So porneia means premarital sex, but it means more than premarital sex. It, it kind of is an all-encompassing word for sexual sin that's out, sex, sex outside of marriage, essentially. Adultery, Lust, you know, it kind of covers the gamut of things. But with that said, doesn't, and I don't say that to shame anyone. If you've had sex outside of marriage and you're, you're married now or you're going to be married, I mean, I'm not saying, oh, beat yourself up because you've created these one flesh unions with other, with other women or with other men. But it, what it helps us is to define even what sex is. And that's a big thing that I do in Beyond the Battle. In fact, the video I'm going to show you today, that's, that's what, that's what this, this video is about, about God's recipe for what sex is. But when you understand that when you have sex with someone, you become one flesh. 
and Genesis two twenty four. Like that's what that's what marriage is for, but it's the sex that makes you one flesh. It's because sex is about more than body parts. And what our culture has done is made it just about body parts. And so back to Guy's question, to answer it directly with that as my context, what does the Bible say specifically about sex in a committed relationship, but where being married is impossible for family, societal, or legal reasons? Um, I'll answer a piece of that in a second, but I want to get to the second thing he asked first. Isn't there an appropriate direction? Friendly relational bond leads to emotional bond, which leads to spiritual bond, then sexual bond might be considered to be of God, uh, but that backwards is a sure sign of unhealth, is sinful, and not likely headed towards a great union. I'll say this, you know, there's people that have sex when they're engaged, and it's because they're engaged. She's wearing the ring, this is, we're planning to get married, and then the engagement breaks off. Uh, you're not married until you make that covenant before God, uh, and the way we do our cultural marriage ceremonies in the U.S., at least, uh, is before you know, friends and family, and we make this covenant before them as well. When that public covenant is made, and when that covenant before God is made, which is the spiritual covenant of marriage, then you're married, and then you have you have the support needed to keep you married. Now, granted, not even that always lasts, but that's how it's designed to be. It's designed to last. And so this idea that well, we have, I, so I would, I would reject that idea that a friendly relational bond leads to emotional bond, which leads to spiritual bond, and then a sexual bond, this might be considered of God. No, because I think everyone would use that to rationalize sex before marriage. Uh, any Christian couple that's dating especially would, would use that, right? I mean, there's, there's obviously a relational bond, emotional bond, spiritual bond, and then, I mean, that's why people have sex before marriage, even when they don't intend to. And yet, as the Bible says, once you have sex, you are one flesh. And so the way God designed it to work is you're married. You're married when you have sex. Now, I'm not saying, please hear me, like if two 15-year-olds have sex, that they need to get married. Uh, That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we need to use God's design to understand what sex actually is, what it does to us. It does something to us emotionally, spiritually, it bonds us to a person with a bond that's meant to last a lifetime, which is why sex is meant to be saved until marriage, because it's dangerous. It's like fire. It is a beautiful, amazing thing when it's in the fireplace or it's in a campfire. It's used the right way. But outside of that, I mean, that's why people get burned time and time and time again. So I think the first part of Guy's question is uh, something that is worth talking about a little bit more. So it says, what does the Bible say specifically about sex in a committed relationship, but where being married isn't possible for family, societal, or legal reasons? Uh, I would say, one thing to say on this is this. First of all, don't use that as an excuse, which you might be doing if you're in this situation, based on the second part of that question. Um, I don't know your family, societal, or legal reason, uh, but... I had a conversation with someone recently about about this, about, well, the Bible says one flesh happens when, when sex happens, because Paul says you have sex with a prostitute, one flesh, like you're married, you're married to her. Uh, and, and someone had said, well, someone, in, just a friend of my church, we were talking about marriage. I think we were at a, we were getting ready. There was a, a wedding coming up that I was officiating and made the comment that that's the co- when the covenant, or that's when the one flesh happened, is when that covenant was made, it was on that marriage ceremony day. And I just said, you know, nowhere in the Bible does it say that 
how to be married. Like nowhere does it say you have to have a pastor and you have to say these vows and you have to sign this document for the state of Michigan, in my case, that legally makes you married. It, it, it never, I mean, cultures, Christian cultures, biblical cultures, Jewish culture have done marriages differently all throughout history. I'm, I'm not a scholar on this, but you can look up how Jews did a marriage ceremony. There was a ceremony uh, for sure, and that ceremony was a public covenant of that marriage. Uh, there was always something more than just, hey, I like you, you like me. Let's just say we're married. Okay, we're married. We're going to go have sex now. Uh, it's not that, but I think we need to be careful not to give a, prescript, a prescription that God prescribes. This is how a marriage ceremony must be for it to be a real marriage. Uh, and so to your question, you know, there are individuals who, let's say, are senior citizens in our culture, and they both are on fixed incomes. And if they were to get married they would lose their fixed income, and they're, they, they have no way of working. They're quite elderly. Several of these situations, you know, their, their spouses have long since passed away, and they're widows or widowers. And those are, I think those are areas of discernment. I, I, don't, I don't know each individual situation. I'm not going to give a blanket statement, but I will say that I think when done properly, you can have a spiritual marriage that, I mean, what, this idea that the the county clerk has to sign the piece of paper to make it real. I mean, you won't find that in the Bible. I know that. Uh, I think it's certainly in 99% of cases is a good idea, you know, to do that or to have that. But another legal situation, I know there was, uh, it can be with even with immigration or with uh, refugee status and people with green cards and those sorts of things. Again, I, I, I'm not a scholar in that area or a lawyer, but I know sometimes you can't, you can't be legally married because of certain documentation, uh, but you can be, in those cases, you can be spiritually married. And so my point is you would go through the spiritual ceremony of making this covenant before God and a covenant before these witnesses it's not just something you do in your bedroom, right, when your hormones are going, oh, let's say we're married. Okay, God, we're married. Uh, this is something done still with a pastor, with authority, the authority of Scripture. And then later when the documentation is worked out, the legal status of the marriage can come up. And this isn't what Guy is asking, but it, it, I've talked about this before with homosexuality and the whole debate and fight over gay marriage it just made me wonder, why do pastors have the right, the legal right, to give someone legal rights, if that makes sense? So uh, the Bible says that sex is meant for a man and a woman within marriage. And that's just what the Bible says, and that's what I'm going to live by. And I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor of the Bible. And then I get thrown into this debate of, you know, would you do a gay marriage? And the question is like, well, I wouldn't do a marriage of anyone who wasn't wanting to follow the Bible, right, anyway. So if like two people were um, not Christians and, and they're living together, sex outside of marriage, for the same reason, I'm not going to do their marriage, right? I'm not going to bless something uh, that, and, I, and I've done marriages where people have had that in their past. We've talked They've repented, they've committed to living God's way up until right they get married. Uh, so that's, 
Just want to say that for the record. But to be consistent, I would say, as a pastor, why am I being asked to give you your like tax benefits or whatever the benefits are of there's legal benefits to being married. You get tax benefits or you get, you know, there's these legal benefits. And I just think I'm a, I'm a minister of the word. I'm not a minister of the state and I get where it comes from the history of it, but I think we'd be much better off to let the church do church marriages and people can go to the county clerk and get legal benefits. I mean, the way, the way we're headed and the, the attitudes of, of things soon, I'm sure polygamy will be legal and you can kind of marry mar- marriage. It's, I'm not bashing just gay marriage here. I'm, what I'm saying is back in the 60s when there was a sexual revolution, people started getting divorces left and right. People were having sex outside of marriage left and right. I mean, that's when the idea of biblical marriage got uh, I don't know, destroyed is a strong word, but that's when biblical marriage broke down. I mean, and, and that's when this idea of the state having a definition of marriage being very different than what the Bible's definition of marriage would be. And that would include even, you know, people that are remarried from divorces. I mean, I, I think you just have to be fair and treat all these things equally. The Bible has a definition of what of what marriage is and and includes sex before marriage. And we don't want to we don't want to talk about these things, but then we get caught up in these debates about gay marriage and um, again, the, the way this the reason this this relates to guys question is so you can see this <laughs> I have a lot to say when a mailbag uh, question comes in. But guys question is uh really I think asking about legal marriage. I mean he he writes in here or legal reasons, right? Now, family or societal reasons, I would say you, family reasons, you need to get married. Like you need to get the county clerk, you know, these sorts of things. But when it comes to legal reasons, I think, uh, again, the, the, the two examples of the, the elderly fixed income. And look, you can push back on that. I would understand why you would agree and I don't think it's a blanket statement, but I think there are cases where those people could be married by a pastor spiritually before God in a real covenant and not be married um, before the state because they would die. I mean, they wouldn't have, who's going to, are you, are you going to be the one that gives them the 1500 bucks a month or whatever it is, you know, that they're, that they would lose out on if, if they were to, to make that decision. So I think that's a valid question. And I hope my question uh, helps with what you were asking. I guess to sum it up, I would say don't ever use a rationale like that to have premarital sex. The Bible does say premarital sex is wrong, and hopefully I, I gave you a good reason of, of why that is, but also let's not put too much weight on this idea that the state gets to sanction a covenant before God, right? That's That's, I guess, the point that I'm trying to make. And I take covenants before God very seriously. I, I'm not going to just sprinkle, oh, I'm a pastor and I'm wearing my penguin suit today and I'll sprinkle a little, you know, pixie dust on you today and ask God to bless you. Even though you don't live for God, you don't care about the Bible, you've been sinning against God for all these years and you're going to continue, you know, and, and by sinning against God, again, I have to preface all these things. So I'm not taken out of context, but we all sin against God. But if I'm sleeping with my girlfriend intentionally, I don't care. I'm not repentant of this. I don't, 
you know, and then I'm like, hey, marry me, pastor. I, I, I want God's blessing. It's like, no, I can't bless that. You're not, I can't. It's like when the Israelites were disobedient. You remember all those stories in the Old Testament? And they'd go to the prophet and they'd be like, bless us, prophet, bless us. And the prophet's like, you're disobedient. You're, you're, you're worshiping idols. Like God's, it's not a magic trick. It's not a magic show. He's not, I'm not going to just bless you because you're calling on my name. And there's, there's tons of, of really sobering passages in the Old Testament there. So I hope that's helpful. I hope I said a few good things in there. I'm, I'm, podcast is fun because I'm saying all this as I go. And so probably could have said a few things clearer, but feel free to, hey, you can write in. Did you know that? There's a mailbag. And uh, you can, just like Guy did, you can also write and feel free to respond. Respond to me. Uh, Give me your disagreements. No problem. The email is very long. So get ready. Beyond the battle podcast at gmail.com. And on Twitter, at battle underscore podcast. Hope to hear from you. Let's move on. Episodes are a little longer, see, now when we have a mailbag. So I hope that's okay. We're going to move on to video number four. Video number four of the Beyond the Battle small group curriculum. And the reason I'm doing this is because as I've led these small groups, you know, I've realized the videos are helpful. I think they're good, but they're not, they're not great. They're not perfect. And I made the video, so I kind of know the answers to the questions of the things they don't answer. But there's things that the guys in my group are like, well, that was confusing or that didn't make sense. So what these first six episodes are supposed to be is if you want to lead a group, keep these first six episodes bookmarked. Because I want when you go to do this video in your group, you can have this commentary from me on here's what I was thinking when I said that. This was a little confusing. Here's kind of what I meant there. So that's the point of these. So here you go. This one is about five minutes long. It's video number four. This is from chapters eight and nine, and it is called God's Recipe. In Genesis 2.24, the Bible describes sex as two becoming one, one flesh. And I think the best way to understand this one flesh concept for my brain is two pieces of Play-Doh. Check out what happens when I start taking this yellow Play-Doh and the blue Play-Doh, and I start mushing it together. The more you smash it together, the more these two pieces eventually become one. Two things start happening. One is this. Eventually, this yellow and this blue are going to become green. You're not going to be able to tell the difference between the yellow and the blue. What also happens, very different than when you're dating someone, you're on a first date, you don't like someone anymore, you want to back out of this relationship. A one flesh relationship, eventually you can't tell where one starts and one ends. If I no longer want to be in this relationship, it gets pretty hard to distinguish between where I am and where my spouse is. This is the way that sex was designed to be by God in Genesis 2. I like to think of it sort of like a cake recipe. If you're making a cake, you have a whole bunch of ingredients and they all have to support one another. You know, you have flour, you have milk, you have eggs, you have sugar. You mix all these things together and it works. Well, in chapter three, we talked about how one flesh, you know, a person that goes into this one flesh relationship is actually much more than simply body parts, right? We talked about how a person is made up of strengths, made up of weaknesses, quirks, uh, insecurities, all these sorts of things. So here's what happens. When you make a cake, it's kind of inconvenient. You know, you have to buy all these ingredients. You have to get dirty. You have to mix things up. You have to wait. And what our culture has said is this. 
What, what is it that makes a cake taste good? What is it that makes it sweet? Well, it's the sugar that makes it sweet. So we take the sugar and we separate the rest of the ingredients from this recipe and say, let's just have the body parts. Let's just have the body parts and that's what sex will be. It would, it would be like this. Instead of putting uh, two flesh and, and, and making one, you could kind of have a man and a woman and just say, you know what? We're just going to take a little bit of what makes a person, a little bit of what makes a person, and it, just the body, and we'll just put the body together. And yeah, these two things will become one. But me Meanwhile, the rest of you is unscathed. But what's ironic about this, while this is the definition of sex our culture pushes on us, and really we become addicted to, our culture still wants the best of both worlds. Our culture wants to separate ourselves from the act of sex so we can just have sex with whoever we want. But really deep down, people still want this one flesh relationship. So What's funny about this is you can see culture trying to have the best of both of these things. Look at the top five billboard charts for this year, for example. In the top five, you have this romantic song by Ed Sheeran, Thinking Out Loud. And in it, he's singing to his wife and he says, Darling, I will be loving you until we are 70. Now that is one flesh love, right? He's like, when I don't have any hair and I can't play the guitar anymore and your legs don't work, we still are going to be in love. And our culture swoons. We love that. We crank the radio up. The very next song on the radio is Maroon 5's song, Animals. And you have Adam Levine singing, Baby, I'm praying on you tonight. He's not praying for, he's praying like a predator. He says, I'm going to hunt you down and I'm going to eat you alive, just like animals. Now, that should be a little bit disturbing to us that Adam Levine has taken sex. If you've ever seen two animals have sex, it's, it's not a very appealing thing. But instead of calling that out for what it is, we celebrate it. I mean, this guy is a star. People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive. He's a star host of The Voice. And this is our top five song on Billboard. We love this stuff. We want to have the best of both worlds. I hate to break it to you, but the best of both worlds does not work when it comes to a recipe. Whatever you put in the oven is what's going to come out of the oven. What I want you to do in your group is read 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 through 20. And you'll read about how Paul describes the one flesh relationship in relation to having sex with a prostitute. He says it doesn't work that way. It's either one or it's the other. What we need to do as Christian men is stop trying to have the best of both worlds. We need to submit to God's recipe for sex. He's the maker of it, right? I mean, whoever made your car, you listen to them. They tell you to put gas in your car, you do it. It doesn't matter if it's not cool to put gas in your car or if it takes a lot of work, you do it because the maker says so. The same goes for sex. Sex is not about body parts. It's about all of the ingredients that make up the recipe. And those ingredients are trust, commitment, loyalty, all the things needed to support the sweetness of the sugar in the cake. Submit to God's design for sex, not the world's, and you'll be amazed at the fruit in your life. So that was God's recipe and it's kind of nice. It fits in quite well with Guy's question, which was not planned, but perfect, really. Where This is a section of the book, chapters 8 and 9, where I break down God's recipe for sex. And so often, here's what we do. We, 
we tell singles, and this could be if you're like teenagers or just adult singles, uh, we say, okay, sex, like, we, trying to say how to say this in a way that's, all right, sex, we take sex on Satan's terms, and I've been calling it, we, we put Christian lipstick on Satan's definition of what sex is. So, Satan says sex is all about body parts, and that's the Adam Levine song, the animal sex mindset, and that is just disturbing. I mean, we need just that what what I'm pointing out is a very popular song from a couple years ago, and it is about taking sex with humans, and we should be having sex like animals. And there's a video, and I do not recommend watching it. It is I, I've seen like two seconds of it. It is very gruesome, bloody. Um, he's, it's and it's very erotic, and it's it's like, I mean, you talk about rape culture, you know, in this idea, it's like of objectifying a woman to the point where she's only body parts to be consumed. And I don't, I don't remember. A friend of mine told me that he ends up like killing her in the video or something. Like at the end, I don't know. I like I said, I didn't watch till the end of it. But we, this is. Like Adam Levine, he's the sexiest man alive, People Magazine. You know, he's a host of The Voice. Everyone's like, oh, he's awesome. And yet, that's what he thinks about sex. I mean, that is so... And and then again, we are so shocked and so um, judgmental and, and rightfully so, right? When when there's like rape and sexual um, assault and and all these sorts of things, and we wonder, where do these types of people come from? Well, they, they come from this culture, right? They come from a culture that has said that that type of sex is okay, and it's normal, and we celebrate it, right? So the point of these two chapters is that you, you can't compare, this is what I meant with the apple orchard earlier, that's from these two chapters, you can't compare Satan's orgasm to God's orgasm, and that's what we do to, to singles. That's what I'm trying to say of how to say that well, I'll just say it like it is. So the idea being, if I'm at a bar and this 10 out of 10 woman is there and she's flirting with me and she wants me to take her home, and yet my my youth group you know leader or something told me, or my singles ministry leader, I guess would be a better example with the bar, singles ministry leader says, you know, save sex until marriage. Like it'll be it'll be better. It'll be better in marriage. Better meaning or or let's say you are married right and you and you've been married like 15 years and uh which I I've been married 14 years right so I guess that's that's my case or you've been married even 5 years it doesn't matter but at some point in your marriage it could be 30 years but you're you you know that the actual act of sex if you were just basing it on that bite of the apple from the orchard example satan's is usually going to be better right and it's like as christians we're afraid to admit that but Proverbs 5 is not afraid to admit that. It's it's verses 3 and 4 of Proverbs 5. Again, I don't have it in front of me, but paraphrasing, he says, the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. And the proverb is not afraid or ashamed of saying, Sex with the adulterous woman is really sweet. Like it's like honey, which was a delicacy of the ancient world. It was the it was the dessert of the ancient world. Oil would have been, you know, oil's talked about a lot in the Bible. It's it's luxurious. It's expensive. It's smooth. It's 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 all these sen- very sensual 
things. That's what happens when you have sex with the adulterous woman. In, in a way, it's, it's awesome. And then the text continues. See, Satan wants you to just keep it there. Yeah, it's awesome. So just, and that's why we get hooked on it and we get addicted to it just like any other drug. But the proverb continues. In the end, she's as bitter as gall. It's like stomach bile. That's kind of what gall would be. That I, If you've ever puked up that, that bile from your stomach, that's that bitterness he's talking about. And she's sharp as a double-edged sword. This sword that's slicing through your body. And you can imagine, I can't imagine being sliced with a sword and, and the pain and the burning and the anguish that that, that would feel. And that's what that is. And so the proverb is pointing to there is a better type of sex. It's the apple orchard. It's God's design. It's at the end of your life. You look back at your life, Proverbs 5 says, and you're not groaning in pain. You're not saying, oh, I wasted my life. I, I don't have an apple orchard because I was so busy just biting from apple to apple to apple. So my point in that chapter is we comparing the two it's it really is apples and oranges they're, they're two different substances and what i got really tired of reading sexual purity books including every man's battle which was a big one that did this they take satan's sex and and look my, i mean my youth group did this growing up and people i love taught me this i'm not i'm not saying these are terrible people i'm just saying it's it's in such an incomplete message to say you know that that sex you really want to have, like that's that rush you get from porn or that, you know, if it, in, in the analogy I use, that, that 10 out of 10 woman at the bar, well, if you just save sex until marriage, that's what you'll get in marriage. You'll get that in marriage. So then you enter marriage, one, still trained to objectify women. You're still training, you're still trained to think of women as a sex object for your pleasure that my wife exists for me to consume, that's still animal sex. You're just having you're just one animal that you got instead of a whole bunch. What, women aren't animals. We aren't animals. We like women aren't just body parts. God's idea of sex is so much bigger and better and deeper than that definition of sex. We have to get rid of that definition of sex. And it's not to say body parts aren't important. Like, there was an article I just did for Covenant Eyes. The last one that I did, it was uh, something like. What does the Christian culture get wrong? Uh, the Christian's purity culture get wrong about about sexual purity, something like that. And I and I wrote an article, kind of similar to what my book says. And a guy, <laughs> you have to check out the comments if you're interested. A guy, he was he was like, this re- article is written by a feminist man hater or something like that. <laughs> and he went on, and he seemed like he was a Christian by the way he was talking. He quoted Proverbs five. He quoted the verse, again, I'm paraphrasing, don't have it in front of me, maybe, maybe I should. I'm quoting it so much, but he's saying the, the verse, there's a verse in there, it's around verse 18 and, and, or so, and, and it says, um, let me just look it up, but it says, I'll read it to you if I, if I butcher it too bad here, but in the verse it says, why uh, my son be intoxicated with another man's wife, and then it says, you should be... Uh, satisfied with the wife of your youth. May her breast satisfy you always. May you always be intoxicated with her love. I'll, uh, I'll open it for you here in a moment as soon as my... Uh... See, the problem with phone Bibles is they take a while to load up. So, uh, full confession, I am looking this up on a phone Bible. But anyway, to his point, he was saying, well, that text says right there, we are allowed to objectify our wives. Like, because it says breasts in the text. And let me read it for you. It is, starting in verse 
518. There it is. Proverbs 5:18. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. And what he was saying is what, what, what I just said. You know, you can objectify your wife. And if you look at that text, it's very clear that the, may your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. If you're telling someone, may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, is that person young or are they old? When you're 15, do you rejoice in your youth? No, you don't because you're, you're young. You know, when you're, when you're 20, do you rejoice in your, your youth? No, because you're young. You're, let's say you went to college in whatever age you are now. I'm 35. I can think back and rejoice of my youth, of my college days. I can think about them. You know, I can think about the friends I had, the community. And in my college days, let me just say this, they weren't filled with sin and drinking and like secular kind of, I mean, I went to Christian college. I had an awesome college experience. Christian community, like my best friends for life. Yes, playing way too much Madden, you know, <laughs> like getting really bad grades because we all played Madden uh, together and we, we wouldn't let each other leave the room because we you had to finish your game. So you had to go to class, but you had to finish your game because the next guy couldn't play his game until, you, until the week was over. So that's, that's a, and then I met my wife and she scolded me for how bad of grades I got and I was going to flunk out of school and so I had to stop playing video games. But nonetheless, my point is, that's what it means to rejoice in your youth. If you're on, at your 50th wedding anniversary, you would rejoice in the wife of your youth. You would rejoice that this woman has been with you, or if you're a woman, this man has been with you for the last 50 years. And in this context, when it says, may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always, May you ever be intoxicated with her love. It's actually making the opposite point this guy was trying to make on my blog. He was saying, this text is telling me I can objectify my wife's breasts. And the idea of objectification is what? That it's about the object, that it's about the breast. It's about the size of the breast, the things that you know porn has taught us or this objectification culture has taught us. And so... I'm not getting married because I love my wife. I'm getting married because I love breasts. That's a big difference, right? And she just happens to have them. That's objectification. That is Satan's definition of sex. And while it was not intentional, the Everyman's Battle Book taught me that. It said, bounce your eyes from these other women. You know, don't objectify them. Don't turn them into objects. Uh, turn them towards your wife. And you. And it didn't say it this way, but but the way what it did to my heart was... You can objectify her. She's there for you to consume. So the first three years of my marriage, it's why I wanted a divorce. Because it was, I was seeing my wife as an object for me to be cons- to, to consume. And a lot went into that. And I, I, I talk about that in detail in uh, Beyond the Battle Book. But the point is, what this text is saying is, no matter what age your wife is, no matter what size or shape her breasts are, may you always rejoice in her just like you did on your honeymoon night. So whatever, I was 21 when I got married. My wife was 22. Now we got married quite young. Uh, But whatever age you got married, you were younger than you are today, right? 
and most likely your wife's body or your and your body for that matter. But in this case, it's talking about a woman's body, which is the most objectified thing in in uh, world society today. Your wife's body is not going to look like it did on your honeymoon night. You know, if you've had kids, especially, but just age, and you know, even if she's kept herself in shape and and all these kind of things, she's still not. She's still going to become. If you're objectifying her, she's going to become mundane. If you think about it like animal sex, why 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 do you think you're so allured to pornography? Why do you think you're so allured to the woman at the bar who wants to take you home because you want variety? You know, because you're you're thinking of it as body parts. You're thinking of it as about you and getting your needs met and these sorts of things. So what this text is saying is no matter what age you are, your wife's breasts, they're they're a gateway to intimacy. They're a gateway to something that's deeper than what they are on their own. They're not just body parts to be objectified. They're a part of a whole person. And so back to the video, that's what the video and the Play-Doh analogy is meant to describe, that sex brings two whole people together. It's all of what makes up a person. And the most humanizing thing we can do is honor sex within marriage and marriage alone. What is dehumanizing is when we take out the commitment, we take out the trust, we take out all the vulnerability that's there and we make it about the body parts. That dehumanizes someone and says, you know what, you're not worth my lifelong commitment. You're not worth, I'm not, you can't trust me. I'm not going to hold you when you fall. The whole richer or poorer thing, sickness and health. No, I'm not doing any of that. Let's just have sex. Let's just be body parts together. And that's dehumanizing. It's taking a someone who's a human being and it's turning them in, in how Adam Levine says it into an animal. How I'm saying is it's turning them into body parts. Body parts are objects. You could chop off your hand and that hand would sit on your desk and guess what? Now your hand is an object, right? It's just, it's not a part of you. What makes you is more than just your body parts, right? And and so we have to totally redefine what sex actually is. We have to completely reject Satan's definition of sex. We have to figure out what God's definition of sex is. And that's really what the middle part of Beyond the Battle is meant to do and to be. And uh, so, yeah, I hope that's helpful to you. Again, Beyond the Battle is written to men. I do want, women have asked me to write a book for women. I think there's a lot of things in Beyond the Battle that will help you if you're a woman. Uh, there's a lot of things that won't. And... Um, if you're a woman, I'd love to hear from you on if you've read Beyond the Battle, how I could contextualize it to women. I do plan to co-author that with a female author, and I think that in and of itself would help. But these concepts relate to you, yes, as a woman, to not objectify men, but also to know that you aren't an object. Culture has told you your whole life for many, from for I think all probably, uh, that you're an object, and you've you've been taught and conditioned that some some of you have been told your your only value comes from being a sexual object, and it's it's the journey for men that are struggling with lust. It's the journey of of knowing no women's value. They're daughters. I talk a lot in the book about how women are daughters, and when you look at a woman, don't see her as a set of body parts. See her as a daughter. And don't dehumanize her. Don't turn her into an object. And for women, it's very important that you know you are also you are a daughter. Your humanity is much more than than who you are in bed. It's much more than what you look like, what your shape is. 
And praise God for that. Praise God that God is not defined or restricted or confined. That's the word I'm looking for. God's not confined in this box of Satan's design for sex either. Because women can buy into that lie for their own self-worth and their own self-image. And praise God that how the world wants to define you as valuable is not how he defines you as valuable or any of us as valuable. And that's the, that's the key to, to freedom. That's, that's how we find freedom. We find it in going to Jesus. Romans eight fifteen to 17 is a great example of that. But it's finding our validation in who we are in Christ. And that's what some of the earlier chapters of Beyond the Battle did. I don't remember exactly, but it was um, the, the first few chapters hit that hard. I think chapter five hits that hard leading up to this idea. So we know who we are in Christ. We know our value comes from Jesus. We're already full. Remember that analogy? If I go to the grocery store and, and I haven't eaten anything, I, I want all the junk food. I'm going to believe the lies, right? But if I'm full, if I know my value is in Jesus, and, and that's what we do every day with the Bible. That's what we do in prayer. And we go to Romans 8 and, and we say, yes, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I'm adopted. I have so much value. I'm full now on who I am in Jesus. When I go to the grocery store, all the junk food doesn't have the allure because I'm full. I'm good. In fact, it can even nauseate me if I'm, if I'm so full. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I'm not even hungry right now. I just came here to get this and I can leave and I, I can, I can, you know, um, I, I, you can follow where, where I'm going there. So I will leave you with that. Uh, next episode, which will be in two weeks from now, uh, we'll go over video number five. There's only two left to go. And then uh, we'll do mostly mailbag stuff from there. I, I want to talk about um, some other topics to come. I want to help you with how to spend time with the Lord every day so you can soak in these things to be full on him. That, that you're less hungry for them in other places. But honestly, great question from Guy today. If you have other questions, please send them in and uh, we'll, we'll talk about anything you have questions about. This is this podcast, I've said this before, but I want this to be a safe place for you to ask questions. The church should talk about these issues more than they do. But honestly, even the church, like I always feel bad. This last Sunday I was preaching, I was preaching on Romans 8 actually, and I talked about the validation piece. And, and I, I, I was talking about how the reason people look to porn or to, you know, sexual sin is because they, they, want, they want to find their value in those things. They want to be told that they're valuable. And I'm looking around and we have kids church. And look, you, we want our parents to send their kids to kids church because in adult, in the service, we're going to talk about stuff like sexual sin because that's what we deal with, right? And that's what the Bible deals with. It's <laughs> poor, like this visiting family, they had their kids in there and I'm just thinking, oh boy, like they're, <laughs> he's poor. And it wasn't anything rated R that I was talking about, but I don't know if a family wants to explain to their four-year-old what pornography is and, and all those kind of things. But my point to that is for whatever reason, you know, you need a place you can ask questions about sexual sin. I'm not going to judge you. I'd ask that you don't judge me. You, you may not like what I said to Guy, you know, but what I'm going to try to do is stick to the Bible. And, and so that's, um, that's where I'm coming from. And so if you have questions about what the Bible says about something, you don't have to agree with it, uh, but I'm going to try to tell you what the Bible says. And there's things in the Bible I don't agree with, but I submit to them because it's the word of God. And uh, that's, I mean, it's, it's our rock. It's, it's how we know what salvation is. It's how we know who Jesus is. So I'm going to submit to those things. Uh, so that's what I'm going to do. And I would love to have those conversations with you. So uh, until next time, 
I don't really have a good tagline for this podcast. I have a good one on black and white theology now where I, I like to make fun of Tyler a little bit. So, um, but I know, and this, this is a more serious podcast, I think, than that one. Um, what, I, what I've been saying, and I don't have it verbatim, but just this idea that I want you to know as you go, there, there is a deeper freedom out there. There's a deeper freedom than just telling yourself, don't lust. Don't look at porn. Don't do it. Don't do it. Behave, behave, behave. But I want it so bad. I want it so bad. I want you to know there's a deeper freedom out there, and praise God for it. It comes from the gospel. We can find that deeper freedom together. I praise God for the opportunity. Thank you for listening. Um, and that you want to be on this journey and that we can be on this journey together. So I will not see you in two weeks, which is what I always say. I will talk to you in two weeks. Uh, until then, check out the audiobook, southfrancispress.com. Get yourself an audiobook of Beyond the Battle. And again, you have about two days until closing time for the six-week small group. So Thursdays at noon, the next six weeks. Love to have you jump in as a late addition. Go to atacrossroads.net slash six weeks. Talk to you next time. Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Poor pit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but short is with your days. Have you ever heard the sound of freedom?